In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I want to begin by asking a, a weird question. At this very moment, right here, right now, what does God want? Have you ever thought about that question? It's a weird one. That's why I began like that. At this very moment, what does the almighty, all-powerful, all-loving God want at this very moment? It's a weird question because we're trying to put ourselves in the shoes of God, which are, of course, our big shoes, and we're trying to look from his perspective, what does God want? Because oftentimes when we think of God and, and wants, we think from our perspective. And rightly so, we have many, many needs. Like, for example, if I were to ask you, what do you want? Immediately we can rattle off a list of things that we desire and that we want. We want health. We want to pay our bills. We want a better job. We want this. We want that. And all right and great holy things. But if you notice, when we say what we want, it's always rooted in something that we lack. We lack health, so that's why we pray for it. We lack money, so we ask for, to help God or help us so that we can pay our bills. But then that kind of want is not possible with our definition of God. Because remember, if God is absolutely perfect, and the definition of perfection is not lacking anything, so in that sense, God cannot want in the sense of the way we want. But what does God want right now? And that's the heart of the gospel today when the Pharisees attempt to ask Jesus this question. He says, the, so the gospel reading today, the Pharisees come up to the Lord and says, Jesus, one of the scholars of the law, tried to test our Lord. But just like last Sunday, do you remember the, the same mistake that the Herodians and, and the other scholars of the law forgot? They forgot that Jesus is very, very smart. And so again, this group attempts to test our Lord. And they ask him, Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? Now, for the practicing first century Jew, the Jews had 613 laws they had to follow. So if you were to be a good Jew in the first century, you had to follow all 613 of them. And so, so they asked Jesus, Jesus, which one does God want from us as the most paramount? And Jesus will quote... Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 7. Deuteronomy 6 is the most important Bible section, scripture verse, in all of the Old Testament, even to this very day amongst our Jewish brothers and sisters. Because to this very day, they pray this prayer multiple times a day. In fact, a practicing Orthodox Jew will recite this prayer as the last words before he goes to bed at night. It's called the Shema. 
Shema Israel Adonai, Yulohinu Adonai Chadad. In Hebrew, they, they chant this prayer constantly throughout the day. They memorize it. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. That is what God wants. He wants our heart, our soul, and our mind. The one thing that God cannot have without our permission. Why does God give us this great commandment? When we break down the original languages, it begins to jump out more clearly for us. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. The word heart in Greek is cardia. We get our English word cardiology from it, or cardiac. It means if, you, if you're a doctor and you go to a cardiologist, it's somebody who specializes in the heart. And that word cardia in the original Greek has a connotation of the, the sentiments, the emotions. God, in a sense, here is asking us to love him with all of our emotions, our sentiment, our passions. The, the, the traditional sense when we speak of the word heart. So God wants us to love him with all our emotions. But which is funny. Because let's be honest. Sometimes we don't want to pray. Or we don't want to go to church. We don't want to pray the rosary. Sometimes our emotions does not match our actions. But how do we develop then these emotions? You parents in here have a beautiful insight. We hear babies cooing and sometimes crying at Mass. As we know, sometimes they cry in the middle of the night, two in the morning. Parents, young parents, remember when your little ones were crying in the middle of the night and they, they jostle you awake and you hear them screaming? What does your emotions tell you at that moment? Frustration, anger, irritation. You, out of love for your child, you simply get out of bed and you attend to that baby. Even though every single emotion in you says otherwise. But you understand, regardless of how you feel at that moment, love, the heart, demands that we go to that child. And then, eventually, the emotions will follow. Something like that is happening here in the Gospel. Notice this. So Jesus quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 7. Deuteronomy comes, it was written by Moses, and it comes towards the end of Moses' life. It comes directly after the first reading today from the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus was written in the beginning of Moses' ministry. And the highlight of the book of, Moses, of, of Exodus is Exodus chapter 20. In Exodus chapter 20, we are given the Ten Commandments. 
Love the Lord your God, of course. Have no other gods. Do not use, do not use God's name in vain. Keep the Sabbath holy. Honor your mother and father. Thou shalt not commit adultery, shall not kill, shall not lie, shall not covet your neighbor's wife and their goods. So the Ten Commandments is given to us in Exodus chapter 20. But notice how the law, the behavior of the follower of God, comes directly before Deuteronomy 6. Long before any, any word of emotion. So in the beginning, when God reveals through Moses the Ten Commandments, God is essentially saying, regardless of how you feel, follow the commandments. Regardless of if I feel like it or not. So that's a great insight into spiritual life. Behave like you're a follower of God and the cardia will follow. Just like a parent being woken up in the middle of the night at two or three in the morning, you act in love first. Then the emotions will follow and develop. Even Aristotle would have this great insight in his Nicomachean Ethics. And Aristotle wasn't even a, he didn't have the privilege of revelation of the Judeo-Christian heritage. But even Aristotle knew that the moral upright person must form the habits of virtue in order to be an upright, just person. Behave, inculcate, follow the moral law, develop the habits, keep coming to Mass on Sunday, keep praying every single day, even if you don't feel like it, then we grow. Cardia. Then, Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all of your soul. What is that? The word here for soul is psyche. We get the English word psychology from it. Psyche. It is the spiritual part of what it means to be a human being. It is the seat of our decision-making. It is the core of who we are. It's the part of us that's not rooted in our bodies, but related to it. This is of a harder thing to define. But in a sense, it's the spiritual component, nature of, of what it means to be a human being. So Jesus here is saying, love God with all of that. Well, how do we do that? There is no better way to love God with all of our soul than going to confession. I will harp on you until I die about going to confession. I want to keep nagging you and nagging you and nagging you to go to confession, especially if you haven't been in a long time. A good practice is every month, by the way. If you want a standard, you say, Father, but I haven't done anything bad. Well, that's to keep us from getting bad. Confession once a month, what, what that does, why I highly recommend this as part of loving God with all of your soul, because essentially when you go into that room, what we're doing, what the soul is doing is, you're saying, Jesus, I am in need of you, and I have done bad things, and I humbly come before you, even though I feel ashamed, even though I'm embarrassed, even though my pride is telling me, do not go to confession, you don't need to go. 
But when a soul goes to the confessional, it's essentially what you're saying is, Jesus, I want to unite my heart and soul to you. Because I know I am in need of you. And the soul that goes to the confession displays the virtue of humility. And every saint will tell you, if you want to grow in love of God, humility, humility, humility is the key virtue. Heart, soul. Now we come to the last. Jesus says, we shall love the Lord your God with all of your mind. The word mind here in Greek is danoia. It is the intellectual, rational part of the human being. It is our minds. To love God with all of our mind, meaning to strive to get to know him. How do we do that as Christians? We go to St. Jerome, the great 5th century translator of the Bible. St. Jerome famously said, to be ignorant of Scripture is to be ignorant of Christ. Meaning, if you want to grow in our mind, our Danoia, with the Lord, you must fall in love with sacred Scripture and to know our Bibles well. Scripture is the soul of our theology as Catholics. Oh, and as we must fall in love with it and know it as best as we can and strive to study it. Just two days ago, I was on my lunch break from the office and I went over to Peña Adobe. It's a beautiful part of Vacaville. They have that little lagoon over there. I'm sure many of you know it. And I love to take rosary walks around the lagoon. And as I was doing my rosary walk, there was a gentleman there sitting on a park bench, and from across the field, he yells at me. So I was dressed in my cassock, as I always am. I had my rosary beads. And he says, hey! And I, someone was yelling. I turned around, says, is he talking to me? And I turned, I looked that direction, and he says, come here, like this, very rudely, calling me like a dog. And especially if you talk to a man like that, you know, as men, our first reaction is not to smile and be polite. But he says, hey, come here. I said, hmm, I, I thought for a second, what do I do? <laughs> then I remembered, oh no, I'm dressed like a priest, so I better be nice. <laughs> so I politely walked over there. Good morning, sir. How are you doing? He says, what are you doing? I said, praying my rosary. And I could tell by his tone that he was anti-Catholic. And I said, do you pray the rosary? Knowing that he didn't. He says, no. He says, why are you praying that for? It's not scriptural, he said. And I said, ah, I said, it's one of these guys. He says, tell me about the rosary. What are you doing? I said, oh, I'm praying the glorious mysteries today. I said, the first glorious mystery, we meditate upon the life of the Lord being resurrected from the tomb, pray the ascension into heaven, as our Lord ascends into heaven, 
The third glorious mystery, the descent of the Holy Spirit upon the apostles at Pentecost. The fourth glorious mystery, the assumption of the Blessed Mother. And then right there, he was waiting for that one. Because remember, as Catholics, we believe that Mary was assumed into heaven when her earthly life was over. And he said, show me where that is in Scripture. I said, whoa, (laughs) brother. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 28. And he pulls out his Bible. He, he goes immediately and he reads it. And his translation was, Hail Mary, favored one. It's, a, it's, a, it's an awkward translation. It's the part of the Hail Mary that we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. And that's where that comes from, from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. And he, and he reads that back to me. I said, yeah, right there. Hail Mary, full of grace. I said, that's why we believe as Catholics that Mary was immaculately conceived. Then immediately he jumps to Isaiah. Because I can tell already that this gentleman had a script against Catholics. That he probably used it and honed it over time, trying to scare Catholics by lobbying. See, that's what happens oftentimes with anti-Catholics. They'll lob Bible verses out of context at us. And if we're not rooted in the Bible and Scripture, it could make us feel uneasy. And he says, look, Isaiah says that everyone is, everybody has committed sin. I say, yes, that's true. But Mary is unique because she would be the one to carry Jesus and to give him, her, our Lord, his body. And so Mary is the archetype or the fulfillment of the Ark of the Covenant. So I'm going through the entire theology and, he's, and then immediately he says, no, Mary was a sinner. And then we jump back. If you look at the Hail Mary prayer, it says, Hail Mary, full of grace. And I told them, I said, brother, that Greek word full of grace is karikatomine. Karikatomine is the past perfect participle of the verb, meaning it's already completed. Because that word full of grace means Mary is full of grace, and it's already done. It's perfect. So therefore, if somebody is full of grace, you cannot at the same time have any stain of sin. And so I'm laying this out for him. And then immediately he saw that his tactics and his script wasn't working on me, so he jumped to another doctrine. I said, no, 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 you got to come back. Come back here. Come back to the center, because that's all often, oftentimes what happens when you're talking to people who are non-Catholic. When he, when he cornered them, they'll jump to another topic. I said, nope, come back. Hail Mary, full of grace. Karekatomine. Mary is immaculately conceived. And he saw, because I had studied and I I have striven to love God with all of my mind, that his tactics wouldn't work. I want us to understand and to know and to love sacred scripture and to know why we believe what we believe. And that is why I'm happy to announce that this January we are embarking upon as a parish a new seven-week Bible study. And we're going to focus on the most important aspect of our Catholic faith. The Catechism calls this doctrine the source and summit of the Christian life. It is the most important 
teaching of our church. And it is the teaching of our belief of the Holy Eucharist. Can we defend the Holy Eucharist with people who do not believe that it is truly Jesus? And so the goal of this Bible study beginning in January, leading up into Easter, is that we're going to study and to know and to arm ourselves with the scriptural basis of our faith. So that way, when an anti-Catholic especially tries to attempt to teach you that the Eucharist is simply symbolic, we can lay out all of the church's teachings and to be confident. Because I don't want any of us to be caught in a corner when we're bombarded with Bible verses, but rather to know. Because to love God with our cardia, our psyche, and adanoia, takes hard work. Because God wants us to choose Him and to make Him the priority of our life. That is simply what God wants at this very moment. He wants all of us.